Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Welcome back to There's No Business Like. I'm Josh Benson with the Marion Cultural and Civic Center in Marion, Illinois. I'm hanging out here with my friends, Danielle. Hey, it's Danielle from the Alden in McLean, Virginia. Katie. Hey, everyone. Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. Brian. Brian Zellmer, KU Presents in Kutztown, Pennsylvania. And Big Bear, Kevin Maynard. Kevin Maynard, Quad City Arts in Rock Island, Illinois. We've got a great interview with my friend Peter Palermo today, but as I was talking to him and it became obvious that He's very happy and comfortable with the position that he's got in the industry right now and with the space that he has. My question to you is, is there a specific time in your life where you finally felt comfortable with where and who you were? No. Next question. (laughs) I'm comfortable with who Kevin is. (laughs) Me too. I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah. I guess to be honest, I it, it it comes in waves. I think there are moments in my life where I feel very much like who I am and I'm doing what I should be doing. But there's a lot of times where I think imposter syndrome takes over and I go, what am I doing? Like, clearly, I don't know what I'm doing. But there's, you know, there always comes a moment where I, I have that moment of clarity where I go, I am good at what I do. I do know what I'm talking about. I think the older that I get, it happens more and more often. Um, and I don't know if that's that's age or if that's just time in the field or what that is. Um, but I would like that to happen more often. That would be pretty cool. This is a great question, Josh. I Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I have really come into my own in the last, I would say, like 18 months, two years. And I think that's because I've just been investing in myself and this is going to sound I think probably really shallow but maybe other people out there uh, can relate to it like I started thinking about myself in terms of like how do I want to present myself to the world and what makes me happy and I started buying myself new clothes that actually fit and match my style and made me feel good about myself and I started spending time with people that inspire me and support me in very different ways than I had been supported and inspired in the past and I know myself better personally than I ever had before. I'm feeling a lot more like myself. Just meeting and working with you guys have helped me become more comfortable with who I am. And even in those times where I'd be on and off and on and off, I kind of stop myself when I feel those off times. And I'm like, why do I feel off? And it's because usually I'm trying to project an image or change myself around other people instead of just being myself, which I keep going back to and probably making people sick of that. So I'm, I catch myself in those moments now when I feel like, oh, I, you know, I've got to reserve something here and say, no, go with your gut and be who you are. And just if other people don't like it, it's okay. For too long, I've tried to be such a people pleaser and just always make everyone else happy around me instead of just being myself. And so that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I um at the beginning of the, of my career when I was at Wolf Trap, I remember like really thinking about this mostly because I felt so out of place and not necessarily with who I was professionally, but it was sort of like who I was personally in that professional space because I just felt like so many of the people I was around were just so polished and put together and like Honestly, like coming from Pennsylvania to Virginia, like people are taller here. And I just, I just didn't feel like I fit into like this location. Like it just felt 
so foreign to me. Um, I do feel a lot more comfortable with who I am now. Um, and I wish I could like figure out where and when it was, but like Katie, I think it has been within the last couple of months. Uh, I think my, you know, my job at the Alden has been so wonderful and I think has helped a lot with it, but I do, I think I do feel a lot more comfortable now with who I am as a person than I did, you know, two years ago, but definitely like 10 plus years ago for sure. So for me, it's not until pretty recently in the last couple of years during the pandemic that I really kind of found my own and found comfort in who I am. And some of that has to do with a, like a newfound attitude of positivity and, and viewing things through a positive lens. But a lot of it also has to do with so many things changed with the venue here that I finally felt 100% supported from the community. And it's amazing what just that feeling of being supported does for feeling like you're really in your place. For me, that that was the biggest change. Um, our guest today, Peter Palermo, um, talks about the support that he feels in his current position and a number of other things. Enjoy the interview. I'm Peter Palermo. I'm the executive director of the Sheldon Arts Foundation, which runs the Sheldon Concert Hall and Art Galleries. Thank you for joining us, Peter. My pleasure. Uh, you have been in the industry for quite a while and Too in a few long. different roles. How did you initially get started or even get interested in the yeah. arts to begin with? Where did your story begin in the arts world? So I always had a love for music and performing. At first, I thought maybe I was going to be an actor and went to school to do that. Music was always there, too. My, my, my grandmother, of all people, turned me on to a lot of music when I was young. She owned a record store in Jefferson City, Missouri. But I was not blessed with any talent, so that was a problem for, for me. So, But I realized that I had just as much fun and had just as much passion for everything that happened backstage. I was a gypsy. I wandered. I, I spent years trying to find my way. Ended up in San Francisco uh, where I learned about production, did all sorts of work on the production side of things, running a music festival out there in San Francisco. So what, what areas of production were you involved in? So for a long time, I did, I was production stage manager for a bunch of dance companies and I would go on the road doing, you know, running the whole production. So I wasn't the, the electric, I was not the lighting designer. I was not the costume designer, but those folks had to, you know, answer to me and I ran the budget and I was the mother hen for all the, all the performers and I did all the logistics of the travel and, and all of that. It was fun. I had a good time doing that. I, I was, I'm a problem solver, and that job presents you with new problems to be solved every day, every hour, and that's fun for me. Yeah, and they, I mean, the production manager is such an important role in, in the tour life as, as it is simply because you're literally the one making everything happen day to day, yeah, keeping yeah. everybody on schedule, dressing room assignments, top to bottom. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And keeping your artistic director happy, too. They would often travel with us. And that's the hardest part of the job. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> they would always surprise me. But again, these are the problems to solve, right? This is fun. So, But I had a great time, especially the, and all through the 90s, just on the road, going to Europe, going all across the United States. I've been, I feel, sometimes I laugh because I'll meet, um, I'll meet our colleagues from wherever theater they're from. And I go, oh, yeah, I've been there. Uh, you know, I played that room. And it's fun. I know those rooms. And I would always say that when we'd walk into a space, you could tell 
if the space was loved or not, right? Mm -hmm. If this was a loved house or if it's everybody's here just phoning it in. I always wanted to be the kind of place that people walked in the door and they could tell the love was there, right? Yeah. So the yeah. details are, 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 are so important. Yeah. Yeah. You got to care. Yeah. You got to care. And even, even starting at the advance of a show, you get a good feeling for oh, a yeah. house. Yeah. 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 For sure. So I eventually, you know, gave up the dance part and really focused on music in San Francisco and did this live outdoor festival. We'd get like 10,000 people coming through. And then all of a sudden I'm in charge of porta potties and hot dogs and <laughs> uh, security and everything on top of that. The sexy aspects of the music industry. Yes, right. Hot dogs and porta potties. Yes, right. Related. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, it was fun. Uh, again, I, I, I loved that part of the work. I loved all the problems to solve, you know, like all of a sudden you've got a hornet's nest. Somebody's kicked up a hornet's nest in the middle of your outdoor festival and like, okay, what do we do now? And that story was, unfortunately, the cops, uh, because they're who they are, came in and took charge, right? And then they all ended up getting stung by these angry hornets. And so I had to set up a triage tent for the cops. Well, at least they were in charge to get stung. <laughs> That's helpful. And there's a little bit of swift justice there. It's exactly you right. You take control, Karma. and once you take control... Yeah, it's, it's all yours. It's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> so around 2005, I'd finished doing this um, big makeover of this concert venue where we worked. And I'd sort of run out and, of steam. And what venue was that? This is called um, Stern Grove, which is an outdoor venue. It's like a natural amphitheater in San Francisco. It's beloved place free concerts all summer long i had sort of just like run i'd run the out of steam i was done i did the big project i did the big construction project from beginning to end that took five years to rebuild it and it was wonderful and i loved it and i just didn't see the job was going to go anywhere it was only going to go it was only going to get more boring from mm -hmm. there on out right so i talked to my wife and i said listen i grew up in the midwest the midwest is a great place to grow up why don't we take our kid by that time we had a baby and san francisco's a lousy place to try to raise a family. My my wife said, yeah, let's go to the Midwest. It's awesome. We'll do it. And it was wonderful. So it was the best decision I made. We landed right in Lebanon, Illinois. Big so metropolis. I, big. So I took my wife from San Francisco to Lebanon, Illinois. And we're standing, I remember vividly, we're standing, and we're still married. So she didn't leave me. That's a win. Uh, that's a win. So we're, I remember we're standing there and in front of our, our temporary housing where the university I worked, I took a job for, I wanted to run a theater and there was no theaters in San Francisco. And so I found one in Lebanon, Illinois that wanted me to run it. And that was great. But I remember standing there with the moving truck and we're standing in front of our temporary housing and you can hear cows mooing in the distance. <laughs> and my wife just looked at me, what have you done? What have you done to me? Not quite the sound, same soundscape as San Francisco <laughs> no, at that no, point. No, but uh, it was great. I, I that was the Hattenhausen Center for the Arts, the HET in in Lebanon, Illinois, uh, McKendry University, and it was great. I came in. The HET was not yet complete. It was still under construction. They they had built themselves a 600 seat hall or 500 seat hall, and they didn't know what to do with it. Honestly, they knew they wanted it, but they they weren't sure what they could do. And so that was a perfect place for me to come in and really learn how to present. Were the, and were you the first? I was the yeah, first I was director the of that first venue. director. I came in when it was still being built and, and was able to make some changes that I saw needed to happen based on all those years mm -hmm. on the road. So you were able to kind of curate the personality yeah. 
of yeah. that space. Yeah, it was and, great. And what was that journey like curating the personality of a new theater? I knew that I wanted to bring them things that they hadn't seen before, but I also wanted them to give them things that were familiar that they would love, that I knew that they would love. So I wanted to do both of those things. You know, for example, I booked Modern Dance. You won't have seen this before. And I remember vividly some some husband coming up to me afterwards and he says, well, I wasn't sure what I was going to, what I was expecting, but I sure did like it. And I was like, well, that's the best compliment I can hear. You know, mm-hmm. you didn't think you were going to like this and you did. And, and now you're happy about it and you're going to come back. So it was, it was great. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I wanted, I felt like I had a lot to bring to the table for McKendry and for the Het, just with all of all the groups I'd seen, all of the stuff I'd seen, the, you know, the years I'd been at APAP um, before I got to the Het. I felt like I had a lot that I could draw on, a lot of relationships I could draw on uh, that make it interesting for them, but also comforting and familiar at the same time. I wanted to push it, but not too far, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that perfect balance. To, and that's how progress happens, is yeah. getting them in a place where they're comfortable. Yeah. But then being able to push them a little bit beyond that yeah. every other show. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> you know, sometimes they, the movie guys talk about, oh, there's one for me and one for them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I didn't quite take it that way, but I was definitely like, okay, with my season, I looked at the season as a, as a journey, right? And mm-hmm. sort of an arc and like, okay, I've got my anchors that I know are going to be, you know, that's Thanksgiving dinner, right? That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the meat and potatoes. All right. Where is this crazy side dishes that nobody's expecting? Where, where are those going to come in? So it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And, and the president at McKendry at that time, he was the guy who had this vision that they were going to build this performing arts center. And so he was hundred percent behind it. And he was, I can't say enough about his leadership and his his visionary approach that made all the difference. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he left, he and I basically left the same year, um, 2018 when I came here. You're now at the Sheldon. Yeah. And talk to us about the Sheldon and what, what that is, what you do, what you do for the community here. Well, so here it's different cause I'm the executive director and I've got to worry about everything at the university. You know, you don't have to worry about security and you don't have to worry about paying the insurance. You don't have to worry about a lot, honestly. It's very comfortable. You really just have to worry about your little piece of the pie. But now that I'm executive director, I have to worry about it all. And I got to worry about a board of directors and, you know, keeping the staff happy and making sure that at the end of the year, the book's balanced. But I wanted that job. I want. I was getting frustrated with decisions that I didn't have any control over. <laughs> mm-hmm. As it is at a you university know? so yeah, often. Yeah, exactly. As yeah. it is. There's so so much you don't have any control over. And I was tired of that. And I was like, okay, well, what is the line in Spider-Man? With great power comes great responsibility, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I, uh, you know, yeah, okay, you have the decision-making power, but now you have the decision-making power. And you gotta you got to deal with it. So it's it's been great to... F- to walk into this place, which has got so much history. My predecessor's executive director had been here 25 years. So in a lot of ways, that's like a founder, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm following those big footsteps. So I have to, again, bring the audience, come, come meet them where they are, where they're comfortable, mm-hmm. give them what they've come to expect, but now also bring in the, you know, the Palermo spice and the flavor mm-hmm. that's different than what they've seen before. Yeah. And, um, and then all of a sudden COVID happened. So that was a pivot in a lot of ways. And um, 
But it was wonderful too. And the, you know, not to keep quoting people, but I think Churchill has said like, never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm -hmm. And it did. It was, I was able to change some directions and make some changes here that have been wonderful, that have made a big difference. So we were able to keep everybody on. We had, we, we furloughed people for a couple of weeks, but, but in the end we were able to bring everybody back very quickly and keep the, keep that place going. You know, we did a lot of construction like this room we're sitting in right now. We we're able to totally gut it and refurbish it during the pandemic. So it's been a journey and, and, um, but I'm, I couldn't be happier about where we are. So what all does the Sheldon as an organization do? You have sure. a museum space, you yeah. have a performance hall. We have a great concert hall, 700 seat concert hall. That's really music. The music is, it's bread and butter. It's a gorgeous space for music. Musicians love it, but I have to be careful about what kind of music goes in there. It's not great for a big, loud rock group as much as I wish it was. Um, it's better for acoustically driven, whether that's classical or jazz or, or folk or country. It's, it's, that's where it really shines. When you can like actually hear the instruments from the stage as opposed to relying on the PA. Also spoken word. Comedy is actually great in that space or lectures. <clears throat> and then we, we do have a gallery where we do original visual artworks, often from local or regional artists. But right now we've got a photography exhibit from the actor Jeff Bridges, who's, as it turns out, has been taking photos with the same camera for 40 years. And his work is really cool. While you're here, I'll, you'll have to go down and look I at would, it. I would love to. Um, it's great. And so that's what I was kind of try to throw in again, some bigger stuff once in a while to get some attention. We're on a block here in Washington Avenue where there's two other big art museums just down the street, Contemporary Art Museum and the Pulitzer Art Museum are right next door. And they're serious, really serious art museums. And, uh, you know, so we're on a street where we've got some heavy hitters. So we have to figure out like, how are we different? And just like on the performing arts side, we're also next door to the Fox, the fabulous Fox Theater here. And Powell Symphony and Hall. And Powell Symphony Hall. And jazz, uh, jazz the bistro. So how are we different? What do we do that's different? We're not the Fox. We're not Powell. What do we do? What do we provide? What is our niche, right? Mm -hmm. What? Where are we? And so I'm finding it. To me, it's about authenticity and it's about as far as like what kind of music you're going to hear mm -hmm. authenticity virtuosity you know original singular voices that that really shine in that space that's what i want to bring here and then we also have event spaces where we do a robust rental work you're in one of them right now a 500 seat uh, banquet room and then we also have a lovely ballroom the it's original from 1912 that we do it's got a little cabaret stage on it. Wow. You'll see that before you go. It's great space. Um, Sheldon's a great place to get married. <laughs> a lot of people do. They get married in the concert hall and then go up to the ballroom or come in here for their party. So, uh, wow. it's a, it's a, so it's a many, it's a, it's, it's, it's got a lot of, you know, sides to this business and we own the parking lot, which we sell, you know, parking spaces. We have our bar, um, you know, the only thing we don't do is cook. We bring mm -hmm. in caterers, but everything else we do here. That's a lot of, for an executive director coming from the space that you were in before, that's a lot of irons in the fire. So can you talk to me a little bit about the difference culturally from a business standpoint between being a university presenter yeah, and then being the executive director of an arts and 
and yeah. exhibition yeah. and rental venue. At the university, you know, and, and it's interesting, too, because now I'm the president of the Plains Presenters, which is the sort of the presenters uh, consortium that is Missouri, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa. I think we still have somebody in South Dakota, and I think we have one in Illinois. I think the Het is still on board, just the other side of the river. And I look at all the presenters that are on that list with us, and by far... They are attached to universities. You, know, you and I are unique now, are becoming more and more rare, which are independent. And even you work for the city, right? Yeah. The city-owned venue. Yep. So I look at our space then, which is an independent nonprofit that operates its own venue and does its own season. That's becoming a rarer and rarer thing. You know, the universities allow a performing arts space to uh, take some chances, some do some interesting art, and, you know, maybe play to a half-empty house. A lot. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because the university has other irons in the fire the, or other other missions to, to that they're seeking to fulfill, right? Maybe the university, the way I always sold it at the university to my president was like, this is marketing. I'm bringing people to the university. They're having a wonderful time. They're coming here and seeing, you know, what an elevated, you know, intellectual um, space this is that, the, that this university provides. And that's marketing money. And you know what? You're not even losing any money because I'm going to break even most of the time. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's is a good investment for you, Mr. President of the university. You're doing great outreach. You get the, the best people in the community are coming here and having a great time. Then your development department can come down and meet those people. I always talked about stocking the pond. I was restocking the pond for the development department at the university all the time. So then, you know, it was up to them then to do that, that work. So I thought it was a great relationship and it worked well. I would get frustrated though sometimes about, you know, where I thought, I think in general, and I'm not going to say this just about McKendry, because I think it's across the nation. Higher education's in trouble. There are fewer students. Costs are going, you know, through the roof, as anybody who's in college would know. College tuition's not going up because there's a bunch of greedy people. It's because there's so much that has to be paid for. The portion of money that state or the federal government is only shrinking. It's only going down. Those, those, those budgets are only going down. And so that has to be made up somewhere. And at the same time, there's like an arms race for, you know, for student housing and what kind of dining hall or the sports that they offer. And all those things cost money too. And you're not going to attract any new students. If they look at the dorms and they're beat up and they're run down, you're not going to bring in any. So it's this terrible cycle right now. And Young people, the number, actual number of young people in the Midwest is also going down. It's tough. It's a tough place to be. I wanted to be out of that higher education milieu. I thought I wanted to be the ultimate person responsible. And so that's what I did. And I looked around at where I would want to go. And I wanted to stay in St. Louis because i got family here. And I thought, well, I only want to end up, I only want the Sheldon. The Sheldon's like the only place that I would want to be. And they've got the same director there for 25 years. He's not going anywhere. And then, whoa, boom, like a year later, he announced his retirement. And so I just, I jumped in as hard as I could. And I, I, I wanted that job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really worked to get that, to land this position. I wanted it. So I'm still, I'm just, I'm count myself pretty lucky every day that I ended up here because I love it. Mm -hmm. I love this place. 
did I answer your question about the differences between yeah. Yeah. between the the higher ed side? You can take more chances on higher ed, right? You can you can do some risky things. As far as higher education versus the Sheldon, yeah. Here you answer to a board of directors. Yep. There you answer to president of the university and and different yeah. deans of yeah. Yeah, I mean, schools. I, and do you feel that there are different pressures from a programming side as to what they want to see between the two? And what are the levels of those pressures like between the two yeah. avenues? I mean, for sure, the, the faculty wanted a say in what was happening. I always want, well, I wanted their partnership. I also didn't want to program based on their desires only, right? So it was a dance to keep them happy and make them feel like I was listening to them, but also still accomplishing the bookings and the vision that I wanted to, you know, to complete. So that was a dance and it, it, it you know, they understood they you know, they get it. Nobody wants to program an art season by committee. Mm-hmm. It's terrible to do it that way. So somebody's got to be given the, the job to do it. Um, so I would bring, I would find ways to bring them in. Like what can we do together? That's like, programmatic that's interesting to you how can i garner your interest and get you pulling the plow for me a little bit here get your students here that was the big thing yeah get your students in the building i want to partner with you because then you're gonna demand that your students attend because there was that pressure always to get the students in the building which was tough it was tough. They all got their in, phones. Were you and, also managing for student events there as no, well? No, no. Okay. There was another department that managed student events. But frankly, I felt like, you know, I'm right. It's just, it's just you and me here, right? Yeah. Nobody else is listening. I, I, I thought that that programming was lacking. And I thought what we were doing was more interesting. Mm-hmm. But still, it's tough. I mean, it's tough to get this, those students out of their dorms, you know, out of whatever they're doing. And they're busy. They're all like on teams and they all have homework and they're all working out and they're all on dates. And, you know, do they want to come see modern dance? A few of them do. Um, and, you know, maybe on a bigger university with 40,000 students, for sure, there's an audience there. I think that those bigger schools, the the Illinois, the, you know, Mizzou's, those bigger schools, they can have some really robust programming and they can take some of that. Stu- the student activity fund, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll also get some of that too. That'll help them with their programming. That didn't happen at McKendree's. McKendree's is too small. 1,500 yeah. students, you know, on campus. It's a very small campus. So those are the pressures. What I also see now in other organizations is when the leadership changes at the university, the whole dynamic changes with the relationship of the university presenting. If the new president comes in and doesn't share that the arts are important, then all of a sudden they're not important and they're not getting the funding that they used to get. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, no, you're not, you know, you need to book more Disney and less, less interesting quote unquote interesting stuff and do more safe stuff. You know, you need to make money on every show. Why are you here? What, what is it that you do for us? Mm -hmm. You know, Mr. Arts presenter, it can be a very vulnerable place when the leadership changes at the, at the university too. Cause so, I mean, I think being president of a university is about as being close to being a king as you can get, honestly, you know, they have to answer to board of, board of directors too, but there's a lot that they can do. What's the difference between that in the educational setting and working with your board of directors here at the Sheldon? So my board here, they're here because they love the Sheldon, right? They already, they walk in the door 
wanting to help the Sheldon because they believe in it and they love they love our mission. They love what we do for the community. They love the kind of stuff we present. So they're already on board. Whereas at the university, I think there was always like some thoughts like, why why are we spending this money on presenting arts? You know, we could we could pay another full time faculty member with this money. We mm-hmm. could, uh, you know, whatever. There was so many competing interests for those dollars that there was always somebody who was going to see that this was a waste of time and a waste of money. But as here, the board is 100% on board. They walk in the door. They want what's best for the Sheldon every, every time they meet. They just want what's best. Now, does there pressure for me to do things that they want as opposed to what I want? Yeah, but it's usually not around art. It's usually around other things where I actually want them to to be involved. They think they're, you know, usually more around, you know, things about their own governance. You know, how's the board governing? Usually they they understand that 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 the art we present can't be done by committee. And so they don't try. They want to be involved. They want to feel like their their time is valuable and that's that's the goal for me is to make it a really mm-hmm. enriching experience for them that also benefits the Sheldon. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And feeling <clears throat> supported is a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it in your own life when you've got a leader of your organization, your city or university mm-hmm. who's on board versus one who's not on board. Yeah. And it's huge. And the the perspective with someone who's not that supportive is, you know, minimize any losses, focus on versus focus on what you can bring to the community. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on what you have to offer to enrich the lives of the people around yeah, here. Yeah. And those are worlds apart. Those are totally different missions. Yeah. You know, with totally different missions. One of them feels very much profit motivated Mm -hmm. and the other one feels community and artistically motivated. And I'm interested in that. I'm interested in making our community richer and bringing them what they haven't seen and and working with them to bring them what they want as opposed to just making a dollar. Yeah. And, you know, as well as I do, a 700 seat hall, it's not going to make a lot of dollars anyway. But you've got all these robust rental spaces <laughs> yes, around yes. you that helps Well, and that's that. what helps undergird, right? Yeah. That's what helps, for sure. The rental business helps the the music business end of it because, as you know, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough to, to make a – tough to on, – on, on, based on 700 seats, it's tough. I'm going to take you in a slightly different direction. Okay. I want to take you back to right when you got into the arts world and jumped onto your first tour. <laughs> what advice would you have for yourself – back then. And then I'll, I'll take you to another point and ask you the same thing. So my first real like legit showbiz job was I was props master for a touring company doing uh, Carmen the opera. And it was like 60, 25 year old kids on the road for 16 <laughs> weeks. It was nuts. It was like a rolling sorority party. So I guess I would say to myself, Hey, take this a little more seriously. I wasted a lot of time in my life just kind of chasing fun. Mm-hmm. And I could have, I mean, I look at you and where you sit at your age and I look at me where I sit at my age. I, I wasted a lot of time just having a good time, which I would tell myself to like, okay, having a good time is important. A couple of years is good, but it's, it's time not, to buckle it, down. Yeah, it's time to buckle down and do the work. Do the work. And and I think, you know, probably getting a family is a pretty good... Um, I remember hearing one time hearing uh, Francis Coppola, the director, talk about that, the same topic. Like, what, what advice would you give to a young artist coming up? And he's like, get married, have a couple kids. That'll straighten you out. You will deliver because you have to. Moving forward, timeline-wise, 
you just got dropped into the middle of a cow pasture in the Midwest, <laughs> about to run your theater for the first yeah, time. Yeah. What advice do you have for yourself jumping in as a presenter at that point? Be okay with what you don't know. Don't try to prove yourself, right? It's okay to walk through the world not knowing and letting people know that you don't know, right? Because that's how you learn. That's how you learn. So it's okay. Well, and one thing I found in the industry, especially at the conferences yeah. and in our industry, within our crowd, there are so many people willing to step up. Oh. If you are if you are willing and vulnerable enough to be open and say, I don't know. Yeah. There are so many people willing to step up. What does a back-end deal mean? Exactly. What does that mean exactly? Will you tell me, please? And I got uh, <laughs> just, you know, last year I got, there was something in a contract and I just didn't understand it. Yeah. Most favored nations rate for merchandise yeah, yeah, and i was like yeah. I, I just called the what agent i'm like mean? you've got to educate me yeah, here yeah yeah i have no idea what we're talking about <laughs> and, yeah. and essentially she said it whoever gets the best rate for merch yeah. on the tour we want that everybody rate. on the tour yeah. gets that rate yeah yeah and she said and i was like oh okay she, she says it's a way to even the playing field yeah. and that way the tour manager at the beginning of the tour knows what the merch rate is the entire way through and isn't changing their rates every night. I was like, oh, that makes some that makes a ton of sense. Why in the world is it called most favored nations? Right, that's crazy. And she said, I have no idea, but that's what it is. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> and uh, that was Abby Bass, and she's she's amazing yeah. and 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 open and yeah. generous with her knowledge like that. And you know um, what I, I what I didn't realize when I got into this is how important the relationships are with the agents. Yeah. They just that I didn't realize And that it's not how, transactional. Right. It's it's all relationship yeah. based. Yeah. 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 It's just it's so important. And and I didn't know that either going in. That's that's a great piece of advice is yeah. focus on the relationships yep. and the business world. Because they're gonna be there every year for you. You know, now after COVID, everything, it seems like everybody switched three seats over mm -hmm. to the left and it's all, you know, there's a lot of turmoil, but they're sorting out now and they're, they're landing where they're going to land, I think. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I think those relationships are long-term relationships mm -hmm. and they start to understand what you're trying to find and they'll start directing that to you and they want you to work. They want you to be successful just as much as you want to be successful yeah. and they're not going to burn it on one show. Yeah. Right. They're not going to burn that relationship. Yeah. It's a long show. Yeah. Yeah. So one further question for you at this point in your career and at this point in the industry. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about the industry? Well, I mean, you know, besides standing in the back of my hall and listening to like we just had Leo Kotke last week. Right. Great. I mean, what a great guitar player. What a wonderful performer, storyteller. I mean, just to stand in the back of the hall and feel so good about the performer and the work that we're bringing in a hall full of people who are having a great time because they haven't seen him in years. And I mean, that's my, that's it, right? That's the cherry on top for me is, is those moments. Is that my favorite part? I think my favorite part, honestly, is what kind of what we're just doing right now, which is planning next year, mm -hmm. right? It's the booking I like because there's nothing, there's nothing set. There's nothing printed. There's no, the calendar's empty. I'm just open to whatever comes my way right now. We're like for like the next six or eight weeks. It's kind of mm -hmm. where we are, and uh, that's a fun play. I love that. I love that rhythm. I love that time where you're. And it's a point of exploration yeah, at the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah, and and it's a good time to be a, a buyer 
you know, when you're looking to, to make a deal. It's, it's, a, it's a fun time. I like going to conferences. I like meeting all my colleagues and seeing what they're doing. What are they hearing about what, where their, their direction are? And, you know, there's always a, such a rich field full of colleagues with creativity. And I could just listen to my colleagues talk all the time. Well, your podcast is great because there's so, so many of them are doing such great, interesting stuff that I never would have thought of. And now I'm going to steal it. Is it uh, Picasso that said, artists borrow, but great artists steal? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Well, Peter, thank you so much for oh, sitting down with me today. My pleasure. Also for the space here at the oh, Sheldon. It's uh, fabulous. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Josh, thanks so much for sitting down with Peter. Um, our listeners probably don't know about this about me, but my mom is actually from St. Louis. So I've spent a significant amount of time in St. Louis. And between this and the Bob Bennett interview, I feel like I know a ton more about the St. Louis art scene. I have never been to the Sheldon, but I'm definitely going to go check it out next time I'm, I'm in town. Uh, it sounds like an incredible venue and they do so much there. And I really loved what Peter had to say about finding a niche for his theater, really utilizing the acoustics of the hall and figuring out what kind of music really plays the best in there and not trying to replicate what their neighbors are doing because there are some really great venues, like he mentioned, right on that same in that same corridor. So it made a lot of sense to me that he really focuses on trying to program things that work in concert with and are not directly competing with what other venues in the region are doing. Um, and I really love that he like focuses on, he said, authenticity, virtuosity, and original singular voices. I really just kind of love that way of thinking about programming and finding things that are unique um, and not copycats of, you know, what everyone else in the region is doing. I also appreciated this conversation that we've had about, you know, that cultural versus commercial um, kind of booking and programming. And I loved his analogy for that, like uh, equating it to a Thanksgiving dinner, um, you know, where you have your meat and potatoes and things that, you know, we're going to make your money and those crazy side dishes or his, as he put it, the Palermo spice, which I also appreciated. <laughs> so, I just thought it was a really good way to sort of break down, you know, what we strive to do at a, at a lot of venues without, you know, kind of just talking in some of our uh, industry lingo. When he was talking about being a university presenter, that brought to light some things that I didn't really know about what it's like um, to kind of be in those shoes and to think about how vulnerable those presenters are when there's a leadership change or, you know, how the the taste of the president of the university can really impact a lot of the decisions that are made. But the thing that I thought was really interesting was when he talked about how his audience is good for the university because he's restocking the pond for their development team. I think that that's a great way to frame what you're doing if you're in a vulnerable position. And it's a way to show that you're working with other parts of your organization um, in a time when that's something that I feel like comes up often as a thing that people are striving more to do, to like work more cross team um, or cross area. And, you know, if you're in a position where you're looking to make your program very vulnerable to a larger institution that you're a part of, that's super, super smart. You know, judging by conversations that I've been having with colleagues who are in that college and university setting, it sounds like Peter probably got out at the right time because with the dropping in admission rates and the increased expenses, you know, they are having tighter and tighter budgets. So 
that presenting style of being able to focus on the more artistic forms of art or the more cultural art forms um, and having a half empty house just isn't a possibility anymore or is becoming less and less common. To me, listening to that conversation and knowing what some of our university presenter colleagues are going through, it seems to me like this is a little bit of like a mission versus economics like mission-based programming versus economics-based programming situation that university presenters find themselves in now. So Brian, you have a unique perspective because you've worked for two different um, collegiate and university systems in New Jersey and then now at Kutztown. What is your experience of what the current landscape of university presenting is like in 2023? Peter kind of touched on this, but in the last five years, my experience and speaking with my colleagues, being highly involved in things like the APAP, College and University Presenters Affinity, and with the PA Presenters, unfortunately, what I'm seeing is a lot more of that questioning that Peter talked about of why is that program part of a university? Because universities right now are across the board seeing reduction in tuition and attendance and they're just trying to find ways to make ends meet. And they're, they're saying, well, why are we spending all this money on a, on an arts program for the community? And of course we know the answer to that. And many of us do a lot of people in our community know the answer to that. But unfortunately I've seen all too often in these last five years, a lot of programs actually get cut from the higher ed scene and a lot more pressure on the finances of bringing in the money. As Peter talked about, not necessarily bringing in quote unquote Disney, but bringing in more of the commercial type programs. And that's my experience in PA presenters as well. Um, across our state here, a lot of our college and university presenters, some of them actually have already been cut, their programs eliminated. And we have uh, a lot that have been basically given a warning that they better turn things around financially, et cetera. So it is a very different focus, um, unfortunately, in, in, in this setting at this time. But I will agree exactly what Peter said. It, it plays a lot into the hands of the administration, and in particular, the, the sitting president at each college and university, because like in my case, I'm very fortunate right now to have a very supportive president of my arts program. But if he leaves or retires, I know that a new president can come in and have a completely different viewpoint and completely change what my mission and vision for my department will be, or even eliminate my department possibly. So um, that's always something that is on the top of my mind. Josh, I'm also really jealous of the fact that you got to spend time in that space. I mean, just hearing Peter talk about all the different um, you know, spaces he has and the things that, that that building is doing and knowing like where it's located, the the challenges that it also presents and you know, knowing he's found success. So I, I would love if you could share a little bit about just about walking through that venue and seeing the things that he often said, we'll check that out before you leave. <laughs> the, so the, the niche of that venue is, is really, really cool because he has two enormous venues right beside him. And then he has jazz St. Louis right across the street and they're all presenting their own things, but he's found this niche and so much of it has to do with the sound of the hall, that hall going in and standing on the stage. It's, it's very obviously a concert hall. There's no curtains. There's actually like an amphitheater almost shell behind it, behind the stage. And then all of the seats are are this beautiful hardwood uh, tone. And it's this very rich, beautiful hall with stained glass. And and I, I couldn't speak enough to how cool that hall is. It's also probably one of the coolest green rooms I've ever been in. It's got like 16 foot ceilings and like 
every wall is covered in bookcases and uh, a big fireplace and like gorgeous furniture. And it's amazing. And it literally walks directly onto the stage. He references some of the other spaces in the building. And so like their rental space for like wedding receptions and things like that are actually a converted parking garage. They've got this little space that has a little stage in it. It's almost like a little bandstand room, but it is original to the original building from 1920, and it is gorgeous as well. In addition, they also have this museum space. And while I was there, he mentions the Jeff Bridges photo display. It was incredible, and it was just a wonderful experience. But he's found success because of the way that that hall works with the musicians that are in there and the sound that it produces. But he also talked about how the economics of the building work to where those other spaces support the music efforts there. I mentioned that he shares a parking lot with the fabulous Fox Theater in St. Louis, and they charge for their parking there. And so they have income from the parking from the other theater that helps to support their theater. And so it's it's just really cool how the economics of that all work together to create and and function with this amazing space that is there that's a gem for the for the community in St. Louis. And the way that he was talking to about those rentals, I feel like a lot of times um you know when you're an arts presenter and you are, are referring to rentals, it's like a thorn in your side or like a little bit of a pain, but he was so glad to see people getting married in his theater and, and enjoying all of those spaces for how beautiful and how wonderful they are. And they're a great economic driver um, to to be able to stay afloat um, and, and make the theater work. When Peter mentioned Leo Kotke, it, it suddenly brought back this memory. I, I worked with Leo once uh, when I was at the Rialto. And one thing that I've always loved to do is drive artists whenever possible. I like to be like when they need ground transportation, I always tried if it was possible for me to do it to, to be the driver. Um, one, it gave you more time with the artist, like this, this individual one-on-one -on -one time to get to know them a little better and them you, but it, so many times it's led to so many great conversations where I've learned things from these masters and, and Leo Kotke was one of them. And I remember him talking about his love of jazz music. Now he's not a jazz musician if you're not familiar with him, but we had a, a really nice conversation about jazz, which was really cool. Well, thank you all for joining me. Thank you, Peter, for your time. And thank you for the space. Uh, we recorded this episode with Peter there. We also recorded the interview with Bob Bennett of Jazz St. Louis there. So thank you for affording us that space to, to have these interviews and have these conversations. Thank you guys for joining in. We'll see y'all next time. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Vanhoek. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? <laughs> I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslife.com. Do I sound out bus I-ness every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends.
So like dudes with beards must be a thing in St. Louis. <laughs> Peter dresses up for Halloween as Colonel Sanders. I thought you were going to say Bob Bennett. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. 